0: Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast, the show that brings you all the need-to-know analysis and perspective about what's happening in media and advertising. I'm Omar Oakes. On today's episode, we get into the year ahead for media and advertising and what was said by the great and the good of the sector at our annual Year Ahead event. We also get into the latest IP, Bellwether reports, the future of Cantar Media, the runaway success of Mr. Bates versus the post office on ITV, and what's up with all these big tech restructures. Joining me on today's episode is Ella Sagar. Ella, hello. Uh, Radio 4 listeners will have heard Ella on Monday this week on the Consumer Affairs Show, You and Yours. Ella, what were you doing on it? What was the show all about?
1: It was a great way to start the week, can I just say. Um, it was uh, about Amazon Prime and ads. And uh, the producer read my wonderful article. Amazon Prime is bringing ads. What do we know so far? Mm. And they just brought me on to explain why they're doing this. What does it mean for consumers? Because you have to opt out. Everyone is going to have ads unless you pay an extra two ninety nine a month. And understandably, quite a lot of you and yours listeners, including uh, the person they got on, Sean, was uh, who's you know your Prime Video standard Prime subscriber, very upset that they'd never asked for ads. And now they have to pay extra and they feel like that's not the service that they wanted. So I just was there to provide context.
0: Yeah. And did, did you learn anything about what the voice of the consumer?
1: They're really, thinking? really angry. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting when you're in a echo chamber in a bubble of in marketing where on my LinkedIn, everyone's saying it's an amazing masterclass in how to launch an ad tier and Amazon's incredible. They've got all this tech. It's amazing for advertisers and how they're communicating it is, is great. And then translate that to the consumers and you know, the everyday person and they're like, what, why I'm, I'm confused. And so for, for Sean on the show, he was saying, I just thought it was a standard email about, Oh, this is what's coming up on prime video in terms of what to watch. And then it's a bit of a slap in the face basically. So he's not going to be an Amazon uh, customer anymore, uh, uh, so they are going to um, get backlash.
0: I'm I'm sure Amazon will miss him dearly. Uh, very <laughs> interesting. Check that out. You and yours ready for uh, on Monday this week. Um, we also have Jack Benjamin, um, who's out of the bunker after being at home with COVID for nearly two weeks. Hi, Jack. Um, Jack, there was quite surprising news that broke over the weekend uh, with Daily Mirror editor Alison Phillips leaving the news brand. Uh, reached the publishing company, announced a voluntary redundancy program at the end of last year. But it's quite surprising, isn't it, to see a newspaper editor apparently take part herself in such a scheme. Jack, what's happened in the mirror?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, great to be here in person, finally, for this. Uh, I missed you guys. I was very lonely you. in my flat. Um Yes, yeah, so it is It is surprising. Um, the Guardian reported that she was uh, taking the voluntary redundancy, and she's going to be replaced by Caroline Watterson, which is um, also uh, an interesting hire. Uh, it's on an interim basis, so she hasn't necessarily got the full-time gig. But um, Watterson previously served as the features editor and later the deputy editor for the Sunday Mirror. The Daily Mirror, of course, has lots of other editors that they perhaps could have chose from, Um Uh, but Reach CEO Jim Mullins said they liked Watterson because she has prior experience in top editorial positions, both at other Reach newspapers and also the uh, uh, magazines at Reach. So perhaps there's a bit of a strategy of, okay, Phillips decides to leave. I mean, Reach has not been doing very well. I don't think that has anything to do with her leadership at the Mirror necessarily, but broader uh, headwinds basically facing Reach having to do with decline in traffic thanks to they, they say Facebook deprioritizing de- news. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of traffic from, from Facebook. So that's kind of gone away. It's been a tough ad market. Um, so it's tough year. They need to lay off people uh perhaps philip sees other opportunities elsewhere i have no idea i haven't spoken with allison but bringing in this this uh uh, caroline Watterson as a interim replacement is an interesting touch because it sort of shows how news publications perhaps are feeling like they need to be bring in more of that magazine type touch Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like hard news maybe there's there's some value there to having someone with that experience um so yeah it's it's a i don't necessarily i'm not that jealous i mean i think it's gonna be a really tough gig to turn things around uh generally at Reach or the Mirror, but um, hopefully she's up to it.
0: Uh, fascinating. Yes, yeah, someone with magazine experience taking charge of a major newspaper. Um, we'll, have, we'll have talked in previous um, conversations on the podcast about keyword blocking, um, the threat to um, monetizing news online, because a lot of brands don't want their ads appearing next to hideous news stories about death and destruction which has frankly incentivised a lot of publishers to produce a lot of magazine feature lifestyle content um, to get that online traffic um, it's going to be really interesting. You remind me uh, yesterday I was walking to the Tube and you know you've got the Evening Standard um, the, the, the the bills, I forgot what you call them, but the posters they tell you what's on the front page and it's. And I thought it said, Kate Moss dead at 50, oh, <laughs> blimey, oh my goodness but then I got closer and actually when I said it's not pretty good, I got closer and it said Kate Moss at fifty. I was like, oh, the, the, the headline. <laughs> like the headline story is it's somebody's birthday. <gasps> uh,
1: <laughs> you just reminded so me. To be of- fair, she was like, you know, cigarette in mouth, kind of. Yeah, that I don't know. Like it, it could have, and it was quite a black. Sort of background, so it could. Been, I I didn't I appreciate
0: know. the nuance. Woman yeah. who smokes has <laughs> birthday. Okay. <laughs> also joining us on the show is Cass Naylor, co-director of advocacy at Advertising and friend of the pod. Um, Cass, you've just announced a new CEO at Advertising. Um, Chris Dunn, the marketing director at Thinkbox, uh, the commercial TV marketing body. Cass. Tell us what this appointment means, what's likely to change or happen at advertising this year with done at the Hill.
3: Very gladly, and it's great to be back. Uh, Happy New Year to you all. Um, So yeah, Chris is uh, stepping into the shoes uh, left by Lucy McKillop, who stepped down at the end of last year. Uh, Obviously, Chris is um, one of our events co-directors at all was one of our events co-directors and one of his main contributions to advertising was launch or helping to sort of run advertising live which is our big conference offering that we do every um, every november uh obviously his appointment is a big uh moment for our industry offering and for our external face obviously my kind of wheelhouse within advertising is looking at the industry reform agenda of the organization and chris has already stated in his uh, launch piece and campaign uh, that he wants advertising to be uh, a kind of force for change in the industry uh, which was music to my ears um, it very much represents a uh, not a full-scale transition but a, a a kind of focus into advertising being a solutions-oriented business um, aimed at you know, providing guidance and intervention for the industry and all parts of it um, about how we can uh, reform the space going into, obviously, this this uh, rather profoundly significant year in electoral senses. Uh, Chris himself has boundless energy, incredible organizational nous. Uh, he's been a godsend for advertising since he joined, uh, and his appointment, I think, represents a transition to, a you know, as I said, a new phase um, for us as a body, uh, and I'm very, very excited to work with him.
1: I think it's really interesting with advertising from my chats with Lucy uh, McKillop in the past is that you all have kind of co-positions. So there is uh, Marty Davies, I believe is the co-CEO and you, uh, every department has a kind of, so it's two of you sort of taking the reins of each element, which is quite a nice way to do things.
3: Yes, exactly. It's uh, unfortunately we're an entirely voluntary, voluntary run organisation, so none of us get paid. So we have to share the work um, accordingly. My co-director, Ann Jackson, uh, is kind of a, is a very well known creative uh, strategist. She uh, coined the, uh, the the little tagline "Big on value, little on price." That was her work. So uh, again, she's been uh, incredible uh, to help with pulling together the framework that we are hopefully going to be launching uh, launching this year, which will be our kind of main intervention uh, in the industry. So more on that anon, as they say.
0: <laughs> so, so how does it work with Chris and Marty? How do they divide up responsibilities then?
3: At the moment, well, it's a little bit premature because we actually are, um, we have our big sort of strategy session on Friday, we're recording the podcast on Wednesday, uh, and then we'll go into a big strategizing um, process on Friday. But at the moment, um, Marty has been working quite closely with me on the public face side of things. Um, we have a few different sort of pieces of work that we need to do regarding internal operational reform um that chris has been very much across um over the last year or so so at the moment it awaits to be seen um but i am anticipating that uh, as marty has been very much the sort of public face of advertising up until this point that responsibility will be shared because chris is himself is an excellent speaker an excellent presenter um, and I'm really looking forward, to, as I said, to sort of leveraging his uh, his incredible skills to uh, advance the uh, the world, the game changing agenda that we're that we're trying to get across this year. So,
0: all right, best of luck with that. Good, good start to the year. And speaking of the year, um, last week it was, of course, the year ahead. Um, we hosted uh, our annual invite only get together for senior leaders in UK media and advertising. Um, This is an event which has been running for absolutely ages, and over time has become a tentpole in the calendar for CEOs and influential people across the industry. This year we heard some rousing manifestos about not only what we think will happen in the year ahead, but what should happen in 2024. The media analyst Ian Whittaker said he did not expect the tech giants, which he dubbed the Magnificent Seven, including Meta and Google, to have quite as good a year in 2024. We spoke in the last, part, even Casper, we were here last time we spoke at length about Meta and what fantastic year they had last year. Um, whilst predicting, Ian also predicted um, the subscription video on demand market would flatline in all major markets, as it was hard to see further penetration. On the other hand, he did expect broadcasters and retail media to perform strongly. So amid all the talk last year about AI taking jobs in media and advertising, is 2024 set to be the year that it actually happens? Um, Cass, I know you take an interest in this. Um, What what do you think? We have a a lot of chat about the year ahead about AI and now it's really... It's, you can actually see you see all the tech um, company laying off people. Google, we've written about the restructure that they've had, leaning into artificial intelligence, replacing some of the agency focused jobs. Are you are you are you seeing this yourself in the line of work that you do, the policy that you're developing, and what are you seeing more broadly?
3: It's definitely yeah. I think obviously we spoke about this last time I was here in December when we were discussing the big stories of the year, and I think I I, I agreed with you, Omar, that um, that AI is the sort of overarching. Um, Kind of significant story of the moment now the question is the question of how far the impact will go is still in the air and i am i as a person i am loath to make predictions uh, for anything because the world is just so um turpid at the moment and no one knows how things are going to go but um, i think I've, i read recently that there was a, a a stat saying that about 40 or so percent of jobs were going to be impacted uh, in the kind of white collar industries by by the rise of these um these models and and even in the last month or so some of the um some of the new uh, i think it's the gemini 2 model that uh i want to say it's google it's google launched, yeah. yes uh, and the capabilities of that are are staggering um but obviously at the same time we're also seeing very interestingly people not only become wise to it, but become quite frustrated um, with the over reliance on it. I think um, uh, Nicki Minaj, in particular, uh, recently I think relaunched a deluxe version of one of her albums and uh, used AI generated art as the visuals for it. and And one of the one of the images uh, was her with she had six fingers, and I remember people were just furious about it because it made it look like she didn't have any marketing budget. It made her output look cheap. Um, so I anticipate that there will be uh, a growing, not just the trepidation around the impact, but also frustration with the laziness that kind of comes with using it um, for those purposes.
1: There was a similar backlash in the publishing world. I don't know if anyone's familiar with this. Uh, Sarah J. Mass, who's a, a kind of YA romantic writer. She's very, very popular. Court of Rose and Thorns, that kind of whole series. It's making Bloomsbury like loads and loads of money. But she used... Uh, AI to create the book cover for one of her books, which caused like outrage. And because, you know, that's the illustrators kind of bread and butter. And so that it's, yeah, as you say, it's already started in a few different places.
2: Yeah. Just to add another example, um, I saw it was an advertisement, I believe, on social media for a camera like business, like a a shop that sells camera equipment, photographic equipment. And they use an AI generated image as opposed to just hiring an actual (laughs) photographer to take an image of people enjoying their cameras or whatever um so there's already been i think you're right there's already been some of that backlash the question is whether or not it's actually important to the companies to the degree that they then feel forced to use people and resources for that or if ai is just saving them so much money that it's like well we can just sort of ride this wave until it goes down a little bit
0: yeah i I think on the on the technical aspect for the delivery of advertising i think um people are you know, we talked about this, you know, go check out listeners, go check out our, our year in review episode that Cass was also on because we did get into this quite a lot. And um, I think a lot of people have been looking at what Meta did last year in terms of, yeah, they they did make layoffs themselves, but they they really managed to, by all accounts, use AI to solve a lot of the issues that they had with Facebook, Instagram, Ad Manager. Um, and it's been a huge success, frankly, um, and big, it's something that big tech is leaning into um, so Ella, you, so we just talked about Amazon and what they're, what they're doing with ads on Prime TV. And um, they're, they're one of the companies that have actually announced um, job cuts early in 2024. What, what explains what they and others are doing?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think. Uh, it was a prediction of Jack's that there would be no job cuts <laughs> this year. Well,
2: no, I, I don't well want to be <laughs> yeah, well, well done. dob them in. This is this is why I should have taken Cass's advice and not done any <laughs> predictions because I wouldn't. I won't be seen as wrong. <laughs> but,
1: but I mean, I think sorry to throw you under the bus almost immediately. It's <laughs> fine. But um, essentially, I think it is a continuation of what was happening last year. It, it's happening with Amazon, and they were making. Uh, redundancies to twitch audible prime video as well mgm studios i wrote an article about that as well as um google making layoffs at P- uh, pixel and those kinds of businesses it's voice assistant businesses and um pixar which is obviously owned by disney hmm. and when i was asking people about it it was all for slightly it was a mixed bag of why so it's not just a clean and dry uh sort of cost cutting measure it is more strategic so in the case of google it is uh, kind of more moving towards kind of that looking at artificial intelligence and how that can uh be kind of more integrated into the businesses. So it's not quite the same driver, maybe for something like Pixar, it is that the cost of content and the fact that they're still trying to figure out the do they go to cinemas or do they go straight to streaming? They haven't that kind of release, some of their previous releases haven't been as successful as maybe they should have been. Um, so and then there's a kind of overhiring an over firing situation as well. So there's a few different parts to it. And uh, on the AI side of things, I just wanted to uh, jump on what you were saying earlier. It's There is a Kelly Beaver at the Year Ahead event was saying, she's the um, UK and Ireland CEO for Ipsos. She was saying that 80% of business leaders use AI or have experimented with AI, but only 8% of the UK population has. So there is, maybe we're talking about AI a lot, but not it doesn't translate across the board. To consumers or outside of our world, kind of thing.
0: Uh, yeah, it's um, fascinating. Yeah, Kelly Beaver, CEO of Ipsos, uh, the pollster uh, pollsters, but they do more than that. But yeah, they they are pollsters. Uh, she described twenty twenty four as a bumper year for democracy, with a record four point five billion people around the world going to the polls, um, including. In the UK, where we're recording from right now, the US, obviously, India, we just had uh, Taiwan. Um, fascinating what could happen at the end of the year, just the whole geopolitical landscape could change. Um, we've, of course, we've got the Paris Olympics happening this year, which is going to lead to an uplift in advertising. Um, she said uh, the US is set to spend $10 billion on political advertising. I've seen year. numbers
2: go up as high as t- uh, uh, $12 billion, actually. And most of that's going to traditional forms of advertising, especially TV.
0: Yeah, expected at least. Yeah, yeah. So it's a traditional legacy media, still very important when it comes to um, political advertising, of course. Uh, (laughs) Big business. Uh, So it's a huge election year. Um, Beaver anticipated a lot of tactical analysis. I'm using quote marks with my fingers. Um, Tactical analysis into audience segmentation to consider how each political party can target different groups with tailored messages. And of course, we've just been talking about AI. You know what that means? be warned of a proliferation in ai created images audio video that will be used oh Cass, mm. what is going to happen in the elections this year with misinformation and deepfakes?
3: Oh, i mean i i despair already i think it's uh we spoke uh, last time and this is a kind of a, a, a drum that i've been hammering quite a lot is that it really does necessitate that educational piece about spotting deliberate disinformation and misinformation at the moment you know the, the sort of stuff we're seeing is relatively benign i saw a video of like the louvre on fire yesterday that was ai generated obviously that generated some concern but you know there is you know as these models get better and better at doing text to video certainly um we will i'm you know we've been talking about deep fakes for years um but i think the the ability of these immediately accessible um systems to create deep fakes in the run-up to certainly our election but i'm more concerned by the american election um is is the only word for it is profound for the co- consequences for democracy will be will be profound um i uh i don't know how to say anything other than to say <laughs> sound like I'm, I'm bringing in the death knell of democracy like i rang in the death knell of the internet last year <laughs> um but uh yeah again um it does highlight the uh the need for everyone every voting uh member of a demo, of a democratic body to get wise to this stuff uh now and to really be able to really kind of i also think to hold people and politicians to account for their use of this we're already starting to see as, as we just said frustration with private citizens and companies using this stuff but it really is incumbent upon democratic populations to Take a very very short shrift with uh, use of this technology on all sides of the political spectrum, um, because you know it's it, there's always this sort of tactical game of uh, the race to the bottom, uh, who wants to use the worst tactics to get elected. Um, yeah, I have I have nothing but. Uh, <laughs> fear and trepidation at the moment for the electoral process.
0: Yeah, that came out that came out of the year ahead as well. A lot of those um fears were being translated. Um so yeah, we just discussed pretty big numbers um for what we expect for political advertising this year. Um Jack, do you think everything that Cass has just said but we've still got huge Advertising inventory surrounding political advertising. What, what what's your feeling? Is it are the election is going to be a positive or negative for advertising this year?
2: Ooh. Um, well, first of all, I think it's uh, kind of hilarious that the benign version of what AI can do is setting the Louvre on fire. <laughs> <laughs> like that seems pretty pretty serious. That could. That, yeah. yeah.
0: What was the context of that? Was it like, wouldn't this be cool if? I have no
3: idea. I I saw it. I saw it originally. And I think, you know, the one thing I can say for Elon Musk is that community notes have been a a real godsend for the platform. But I saw it originally and thought, that looks a little bit strange. But I think I've spent so much time looking at AI-generated content now. I'm quite good at noticing how smooth it looks sometimes. And I thought, that doesn't look right. And then it got community noted in the end. But
2: but that's the problem, because most people... Can't, don't feel confident that they could spot it because they don't spend as much time looking yeah. at AI generated imagery um, I mean I think the election year is going to be good for advertisers because lots more money gets spent especially in the US market such to, such that it usually isn't even factored into uh, annual spend reports because it would skew the figures so uh, greatly I mean you mentioned yet yeah, 10 billion 12 billion. Number that's going to get spent, and that's mostly going to traditional platforms. And I'm sure that they're very happy to take that money. Um, but I am really concerned about about the election. I think we've talked previously about how we might see a flight to those traditional forms of media because they're maybe a bit more trustworthy than some of the more nascent ones, um, especially news publishers. You would think more people would be supporting them, or you know, traffic would increase. Um, we'll see. I, you know, it's possible that ai being integrated into google search causes referral traffic to drop uh relative to let's say the the past big election year of 2019 2020 uh time just because people can get answers to things that are ai generated as opposed to clicking on links even if the links are given mm-hmm. to you i mm-hmm. think that would affect mm-hmm. uh, user behavior significantly so i know publishers are really worried about that um, i also just think it's going to further erode overall trust in media so even if you know people can still feel trustworthy of The Times or the Guardian, as individual brands, uh, overall mainstream media—I'm using air quotes—is going to suffer in terms of increased lack of trust, just because all of media is going to be seen as untrustworthy. It's like, oh, was that AI generated? Was that fire actually burning at the Louvre? Can I find an actual news report or no? And you know, God forbid a publisher ever gets actually tricked by an AI image and and reports something that wasn't true. I mean, I'm sure they're putting teams together to make sure that they fact check things properly
3: um hopefully at least (laughs) i give it two months yeah i give it two months before something like that happens at such a substantial level for a publisher
0: so Ella, what do you think i mean we talked a lot about trust in media not just at the year ahead but it's something we talk about quite a lot in the content that we do at the media leader i mean this is just going to be yet Another example of how it's harder and harder to keep the trust of consumers, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so and and I was I saw a story on The Guardian uh, this week, which was you know the deep fakes of Rishi Sunak already happening so and that was with paid ads on Facebook. so it was a paid uh campaign. there was like a hundred over a hundred ads, and it was all uh manipulated Rishi sunak uh, video and then it went cut to like a faked BBC news presenter, like, so it was, it was kind of put together to make it look, if you just saw those faces, they seem quite convincing. It's got everything that you might look for. There might be a few things that a discerning person might be like, oh, his face looks a bit too smooth, like Cassie was saying, or it, his mouth isn't really following the text as much, but it's, I don't think that consumers really know how, where to get that education and that there is really a problem because you're just logging on to your social media or or going and finding your news wherever you find it, and so it is quite hard to know what's real and what's not.
0: But they, but they they don't Facebook have the technology to be able to determine that. I mean, what's just why couldn't that same person just do a deepfake of Mark Zuckerberg, deepfaking them saying that Google is amazing,
1: Apple's amazing. Yeah, I think that was interesting because it was it did violate a lot of their policies. This video um, and. Then I think that so they're the money.
0: I I then think they, they
1: got it got taken down, but it was it was a very odd kind of paid campaign. I
2: think I think it's uh, especially a problem because government legislation is so behind the ball. So okay, yeah, Facebook might have been able to take something down, but after some time, after some people see it, um, you know, OpenAI is launching a GPT store where people can release, uh, you know, chatbots that they've independently sort of created off of that technology and they say oh well we're not going to allow chatbots that are for political purposes basically um but i don't know how well they're going to moderate that outside of you know a, a legislative body saying we will definitely fine you if you a, a, a high amount if you don't do a good enough job with this um the EU passed the the AI act but that, that's still in the process of being implemented and other governments haven't taken action on this so it's a very much a wild wild west i think that's part of what makes us feel very anxious is that we have this great technology and governments are just way behind the ball on making sure that it doesn't cause too much harm
0: yeah Okay, moving on from that, um, Cass. What's your big prediction for the <laughs> year ahead?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's that a, a prediction. Start? my big it's prediction. We're forcing you into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, huh. so without wanting to kind of call election election results, I think there was a very interesting um, there was a very interesting dynamic that came out uh, recently. I, I was watching um, LBC this morning. Uh, Andrew Marr was. Uh, interviewing Steve Bannon, who some uh, oh, listeners will know. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, who listeners will know is a, a strategist for the Trump campaign um, and is uh, allegedly, I mean, you know... Isn't he in prison? No, no, um, unfortunately. didn't he, I think he got pardoned by Trump. I believe so, yes. He is essentially... I would encourage listeners to make their own judgments. Uh, in my opinion, he is a white nationalist and, uh, and an incredibly, incredibly dangerous force for global democracy in general. Um, but he was talking about, obviously, the, the Iowa caucus that happened, I think it was yesterday. Um, in Monday. Monday, yes. Uh, and uh, obviously Trump swept that uh, that caucus. He got more votes than any one of his other competitors combined. Um, but Steve Bannon was uh, kind of ringing a populist bell specifically about the amount of advertising that was spent. It was making this point that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis who are the two nearest competitors to Trump in the in the primary, um, and the amount of money they spent on advertising, and he was using that as an indication of how out of touch they were and how little they could rely on um, the actual goodwill of the populace and the people. Um, so I'd be interested to see what, I'm not so much making a prediction, but I think it's going to be one to watch, because we talk talking about these massive, massive advertising spends. But what impact that will have on how Trump and populists the world over are able to sort of leverage that by by tying it to, you know, the deep state, big money, etc. You know, we've been hearing these lines all the way since 2008, but it's taken on sort of um, obviously new significance now. Um as for predictions for this year, I mean, I did just make a prediction that I think a newspaper is probably going to run something uh, AI generated by accident in the next uh, in the next quarter. I, I would stand by that because I feel like we're you know we're one failure of due diligence away from that. And as I said, these models are getting so unbelievably sophisticated, even those of us who are quite good at detecting this stuff miss these things. Um, also, interestingly, uh, there was a bit of a, a commotion about putin's new year's speech and people saying that that looked like that was ai generated because of the way that his neck was well he's a lot of
0: work done
3: well exactly but then there's that there's that you know that obviously answers uh calls to questions about his health and i think given the fact that we know that electorates and markets are so sensitive in the current economic environment any kind of one of those bits of disinformation could send you know markets into a spin or i mean even when um, you know when twitter uh, had its verification conundrum i suppose at the beginning of musk's uh, ownership of it and there was that moment where i think uh somebody f- spoofed an eli Lilly account and and said that insulin was going to be free and it tanked their um their share price so i think we'll see more and more of that uh and i'd be interested to see how markets uh adapt to that environment um but yeah as for predictions i uh I am loathe to make any, as I said, because... Even
0: though you've made three of three, <laughs> Even though i made three,
3: <laughs> even three, even I made three gentle ones, <laughs> uh, not so much calling, you know, where we're going to be on December 31st, 2024, you, yeah, and if there's going to be yeah, a world yeah. left.
0: Yeah, I i, I think there's a, I think there's a serious conclusion to be made from a lot of this discussion. It's, it's going to be an even tougher year for news because, um, to Jack's point, if it's getting harder and harder to mm-hmm. verify a lot of this content, and um, to what you've just said, Jack, about the advertising element of it, <laughs>
3: uh, it, a tough it, year for truth yeah definitely it's, I, and trust I, in, you know.
0: yeah I, th- I think um the mirror could be a trailblazer where they hire more magazine lifestyle editors to run these newspapers because if news is becoming so hard that it's becoming even less profitable then you know it wasn't an easy job anyway um it's just then just put out a lot of lifestyle content and turn them into magazines
2: yeah, or um, opinion content increasingly. I've noticed this, uh, especially on like the New York Times. Uh, they actually just launched a new like live blog just for their opinion columnists, sort of giving analysis and reaction to news. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, the Guardian I, live blog was doing that, but for years, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I suppose it's not necessarily a new idea, but perhaps a new idea for for yeah. NYT. Um, there, there's clearly an effort being made to provide more unique value to readers. Uh, because news can just be found practically anywhere um be it social media be it a free service like you know the bbc yeah there's lots of places to find news is basically what i mean to say and and find pretty reliable news for free the issue is that a lot of people well for now and there's the issue is that a lot of people i would say go to unreliable places for news anyway even given that we have in the palm of our hand access to all the world's information at you know at the too, it's too
0: much information. I, I I just uh, I just let my wife tell me. I, I just wait <laughs> for my wife to. It's like, oh, did you hear it? Did you hear? It? And, and you're
2: mine. a news re- report editor. editor? Uh, like you, sh- you should probably. <laughs> no one knows. No one knows what I am <laughs> these days, really.
0: <laughs> um, Ella, moving on. Any other takeaways from the year ahead? What caught your ear, eye, other senses?
1: Um, I think that Whitaker saying uh, what his comments about the subscription video on demand market. Like, and or flatlining in all major markets was quite interesting because I think there is that idea of like, oh, well, I watch Netflix and I watch Disney and they've yeah, just they, introduced they've, ads they, and it's great. They've jacked yeah. up the
0: prices so, so people are yeah, coming off it. Yeah, I think that
1: was that was quite an interesting uh, uh, element to look at. The things that burned on my brain are the Kelly Beavis AI-created images about of Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which I can't erase from my head. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, aside from that, yeah.
2: It was funny because... She had, uh, uh, yeah. She put these images up, and then I go to OpenAI's blog, and they're talking about this, you know, GPT store, and their their preparations for for the election year, and they're like, oh, we can't, you know, we're not going to allow people to create images that are, you know, of de- depicting political people, like candidates for for elections, and I'm like Kelly Beaver literally just created <laughs> two images v- via Bing, which uh, Microsoft uh, is an investor in OpenAI. So again don't really know how easy it is to enforce that type of stuff
0: yeah yeah and um finally um, my panel um was really good we had uh lindsey clay uh, chris dunn's colleague ceo of thinkbox um cara osborne the new ish ceo of um the media agency um jerry d'angelo um former procter and gamble executive and chris boga um, the UK general manager of TikTok. Um, fascinating discussion. One thing that, was, that strongly came out of it was um, this idea um, that, that media really needs to rediscover its sense of creativity.
4: What I would like to happen, what I would like the industry to orientate to, towards is the one thing that made it famous in the first place, which was creativity. Um, and Lindsay, I think you might talk to this a little bit as well. Um, And the thing that really surprised me was a number of pieces of research that came out recently, the data to decisions, um, renewed uh, piece of work that was done initially in 2014, the Cantar work, the Peterfield work, lots and lots of pieces of work are pointing to the fact that creativity is by a large, large, large factor, the biggest impact on advertising profitability. And we as an industry have, I think, in many ways, been completely suckered for the last two decades and have been really focusing on data and technology and targeting. And so my my wish, I think, would be for us to really focus back on creativity in a way that drives businesses for uh, advertisers.
1: I would really like everybody to try and uh, celebrate creativity and champion it this year. Now I know that sounds weird coming to a media audience because you've spent your lives sort of you know defending yourselves against the sort of you know onslaught of uh, the creative agencies. But if you think about it, it's the most it's the most significant ROI lever, so it has the biggest uh, impact. There's all sorts of other uh, pieces of research as well.
0: Um, follows on from a previous discussion that we had about Peter Field um, giving a speech at our Future of TV event last year, but you know, really, um, TV that has a place can place such a premium on creative content because of the format that it's in. Really needs to be careful as it does more connected TV, video on demand, which has a tendency for more programmatic. Um, response, advertising. Don't lose what makes you special, creativity. And that was that was a huge um, source of sensitivity among the panel that media generally re- needs to rediscover its sense of creativity. I, I suspect that's going to be a big theme for the media leader going forward this year. Okay, enough about the year ahead since we're already in the middle of January. Uh, let's get into some Quick fire, rapid fire news stories. Um, Get your quick hot takes on it. Um, Ella, the IPO bellwether. Um, Total UK marketing budgets were revised up in the latest um, IPA bellwether. Um, It's actually the strongest level in almost a decade. Um, This is despite the intensely challenging backdrop for UK businesses. Many companies opted to remain proactive in the market instead of withdrawing into cost-saving mode, the report says. So Ella, what explains this?
1: this was a surprisingly optimistic. Uh, This is covering Q4 2023. And um, I think uh, it seems like the conversations, the research, the events that have always been talking about marketing as an investment. And it's something that you should be spending on even in, and particularly in time in difficult times uh, financially as companies that it seems to have finally trickled through um, at least a little bit. So that seems to be one of the main takeaways from this, that there is, while there there might be a recession uh, later this year and that there are there is still some difficult headwinds, I think they, they call them, that overall total marketing budgets are up and and other elements are still being upwardly revised, like up parts of uh, budgets. So it was a quite surprising uh, report. And not not just sales promotion, that's another thing. Because mm, yeah. in the past it was like, Sales promotion, yes. Main Media marketing, no. And now it's kind of flipped a little bit.
0: Yeah, we're not just banging on about discounts all the time. Great. So, some positive news to begin the year. Um, Jack, um, last week was the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Um, and Disney and Netflix unveiled new information about their ad-funded subscription tiers. Jack, what did they say?
2: Yeah, so Disney unveiled its first shoppable ad format. They're calling it Gateway Shop. That's launched in limited beta for now. It seems like quite cool tech. Uh, Consumers can access personalized offers from retailers within the viewing environment. And Disney is further working on tech that would allow second screeners to send products from their TV to their second screen so they can shop on their second screen while the entertainment keeps playing. So that's quite cool. Um, I'd expect to see a lot more of this type of, they're calling it T-commerce or TV commerce in the near future because Mm -hmm. it improves TV's value proposition to advertisers by adding that personalized lower funnel value to TV on top of what's the already obvious higher funnel values that the TV can provide about, you know, reach and and branding. Um, Netflix's announcements were also interesting. They said they now have 23 million active monthly users on its ad tier, up 53% in less than three months. So it's uh, catching on at pace. Um, Netflix is also adding a new ad format itself for when users pause shows, which is arguably a little less interesting, but nevertheless, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's important to understand how they're, Uh, continually looking to improve their ad product
0: yeah and um yeah loads of people are doing pause ad um itv announced that they're 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 developing pause ad on the itvx as well Mm. Uh, maybe we should
3: review all the different pause ad formats (laughs)
0: that's
2: a wonderfully geeky we should definitely do that omar Um, i actually had a uh quick hit for you if i may go on hit me Uh, There's been lots of market speculation about the future of Kantar and its audience measurement division, Kantar Media. Sky News has reported the company is due to put up for auction, while WPP still owns a minority stake in Kantar, is reportedly considering selling off its 40% share. Omar, you wrote about this uh, over the past week for us. Why would Bain sell Kantar Media and how does WPP uh, and that story potentially complicate it?
0: Yeah, so there's um, uh, I interviewed uh, the CEO of Kantar Media, newish CEO of Kantar Media last year, last November. Um, check out that check out on the MediaLeader.co.uk Patrick Bahar interview um, where we we talked a bit about this. Um, so uh, as as he as Patrick put it, big Kantar is separated from little Kantar. Little Kantar is Kantar Media. That's um, in an industry they know for TGI audience measurement, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. What is happening is that Cantar Media has been spun off into its own individual business. Many people interpreted that as that is paving uh, the way for selling the business. I asked Patrick about that explicitly and he did not really engage with the question. Um, The whole transcript is on the website. readers can judge for themselves. Um, So it's not surprising that this report has come out that it's being put up for auction. Um, it's estimated it could um, fetch about a billion dollars. Um, why now? Um, there's a lot of um, interest in what Kantar Media is doing in the US and potentially setting up a rival business to Nielsen, which as an American, you know, Nielsen families, etc. Um, Nielsen has had a, an effective monopoly in audience measure, TV audience measurement in the US for decades. So fascinating. And yeah, WPP um, still has a 40% share in big Kantar and is apparently looking to sell that. That, but presumably have to wait until any sale of kantar media happens mm. um so lots of moving parts and we don't have time to get into it but it opens up a huge other story about what's happening with wpp and do they share price hasn't ticked up for a while are they going to need to sell things break up the business in parts further rationalize these agencies they have already done it with uh, vml and wonderman thompson last year lots of stuff happening agencies land that um we should do a whole other podcast episode <laughs> on, and um, we need to move on. Cass, I want to ask you about the show everyone's talking about um itv's mr bates versus the post office has now averaged uh, 9.8 million viewers across its four episodes including seven day viewing across all devices um say itv um it exceeds even the launch of downton abbey in 2010 um Cass, we keep hearing that traditional tv's dead not from the new ceo chris dunn i suspect um but look at how much attention this itv's the drama is given to this awful miscarriage of justice. What do you think? Is this an aberration, or is this an example of how TV is still much more important than many of us in the industry might give it
3: credit for? So, as typical, I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit and say a little bit oh. of both. A little bit of both. um Firstly, obviously, it's an incredible uh, uh, accomplishment for the TV format, and I'm really, really glad to see that people are paying attention to TV as a as a means by which. Uh, information on these sort of issues can be communicated um obviously you know it's not the only example we've seen obviously there was there's tv around the hillsborough disaster the murder of stephen lawrence Mm. uh i am personally a big fan of john oliver um so i uh you know i really value the ability of using the tv format to raise consciousness obviously he does um you know these direct camera pieces on everything from slap lawsuits which have had uh, actual legislative effects um, all the way through to you know structural racism in America, and you know the the COP twenty six, etc. And and there is you know demonstrable, visible impact from um, you know public uh, pressure again around these issues when uh, they are surfaced in these kind of formats. So obviously, I'm thrilled to see that the um, the, the Mr Bates uh, versus the Post Office has had the resonance that it has, and I think that that does come down to it ultimately it's the power of this format to achieve resonance and to cut through to the general public. Um, You know, it has the requisite impact on political pressure. I do think to an extent it is an aberration because obviously we're in election year. The government wants to sort of show off, you know, their credentials as as an effective body. Uh, And I think that is part of the reason why we've seen so... Uh, such a rapid development in the mm. judicial and sort of justice seeking process around uh, around this particular as you say enormous miscarriage of justice
0: yeah and um and and uh, and and a win for eventual news reporting we've we've talked a lot about news in this episode mm. and um um yeah please do um Read Raymond Snoddy's um, columns about it last week, and in back back in I want to say twenty twenty one, when he was writing about the investigative reporter Neil Wallace, whose book actually um, started um, a lot of the the coverage, which has since come out. Now, finally, Ella, um, one thing um, we haven't talked about yet, which was fascinating from the year ahead. um, In the run up to the year ahead last week, um, the media leader actually um, asked the Future 100 um, class of 2022 and 2023. It's been going for two years. They asked the Future 100 to rank 10 issues um, that would make the greatest impact on them personally and professionally if leaders uh, for the, the, the priorities that leaders should have this year. Um, Ella, what did they say?
1: Well, they put DEI and talent and, re- and retention right at the top, um, kind of together. Um, there wasn't much in it in terms of how close they were. And so that is their main uh, priority. And I think that is mostly down to the fact that they don't think it's been prioritised enough it's not people companies haven't committed in a kind of, in a real kind of verifiable way they said yes we take diversity really seriously and our talent really seriously but there it hasn't necessarily translated into like it's a must have rather than a nice to have and so there's that frustration there i think um and that, so yeah i think it's all linked to they want more that will lead into better business outcomes, more innovation, more creativity, and, and more and more benefits that I could list on and on and on. Mm.
0: If only we had someone whose job it was to lobby on behalf of um, creating a more inclusive <laughs> if only. Uh, yeah. ad industry. I mean, Cass, um, yeah, so our Future 100, um, they were asked, what do you think this should be the priorities for this year? And d and um, retaining talent were by far the top two concerns that they had. So they don't think that senior leaders in this industry are taking it seriously enough. What do you think and what would your advice be for anyone who's concerned uh, for moving up the agenda?
3: Well, I'm really glad to hear that, to be honest. And I do think the two are are linked because a lot of the work that we do is talking about the importance of internal diversity inclusion as a mechanism for talent attraction and retention. So I feel like those two phenomena are are kind of dovetailed obviously we're seeing if there is a kind of a big trend certainly in in my side of work both in advertising and in the consultancy purpose union um is this backlash to diversity and inclusion as a as a kind of exercise of business and you know we've been talking about it for a few years now and it's it's going to come particularly, again, to a head because of the way that it's going to be contextualized by uh, parties in the run-up to various elections. It's becoming incredibly important. Way, you know, It has been incredibly important forever, but I think people are becoming wise to uh, the power of internal inclusivity to leverage the the productivity of the individual. We've been having a conversation in Britain for the last few years, and I think it's uh, crystallized quite nicely in the Resolution Foundation's um, report on stagnation. Uh, and the thing they honed in on is this this concept of productivity and that we in Britain uh, are unproductive relative to other countries in Europe um, and that comes down to how much you know individual people can produce uh you know by themselves on a per capita basis and our argument in the kind of diversity and inclusion space is that um inclusion isn't just about you know making people feel comfortable and you know it is obviously about that but in a sense it is also about, Creating an environment where somebody can produce their best work without structural barriers, without, you know, um, concerns about internal discrimination, soft or hard or procedural or policy. So, um, yes, it, it does chime with a lot of what we've been seeing. And there's, you know, reams and reams of research that shows that uh, truly inclusive companies, truly diverse companies outperform their competitors in every meaningful metric. Um so uh, yeah, very ha- very glad to see that the uh, that it's been identified as a priority. But there is still so much work to do about the seriousness with which the the actual exercise
0: is taken. I think, Cass, this what you talk about this link between inclusion. And productivity is absolutely fascinating. And without speaking to, without boring listeners, and um, this is something that we are actually talking about on our team quite a lot in terms of being just more productive, um, but not really thought about in terms of um inclusive as well. But when I think about some of the things that we're actually trying to bring in this year, It is actually um, part of the inclusion conversation. And I think um, one thing we've not talked about, but is actually going to be this. Here's my mini prediction for the year ahead, guys. Uh, Um, I think um, we're gonna in the UK all the pressure to bring people back into the office that we've been hearing about in the US in recent weeks and months is going to come to the UK. So, you, so publicists has started doing it, but everyone is going to be demanding that workers go back to the office at least at least three days a week. So that's going to be a big thing. Um, and in terms of productivity, all of the arguments for why you bring people back into the office. I think are going to be bound in inclusivity as well um because and but both sides for and against i think it's going to be absolutely fascinating and you're right we do have a productivity problem generally and i've got my own opinions about why but we need to do a whole other episode about that yep. because we've run out of time but no fascinating discussion thank you so much um all of you dear panel and um, for coming on to the episode so about the year ahead and um, we'll be back next week of course of our regular episodes um but until then please check out all our episodes at the media leader podcast media.co.uk and check out next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader podcast. Please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at the Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.